0: We're in the story of Joseph, Genesis 38. If you could grab your Bible somewhere in your living room or your bedroom, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 38. Last week we were in Genesis chapter 37, and uh, we saw that a lot can happen in one chapter, in one page of our life, the story of Joseph Chapter 37 uh, starts out, Joseph receives dreams, this promise of a great, bright future. But by the end of this one chapter, they seem to be smashed into a thousand pieces. Uh, At the beginning of the chapter, we see these brothers struggling with jealousy. And by the end of the chapter, they're um, talking about attempting murder. Uh, At the beginning, we see Joseph clothed in this, Coat of many colors, this beautiful robe, and by the end he's naked, he is shackled, and he's following this caravan of slave traders. At the beginning, we see a father who, um, who has favored a beloved son, and by the end of the chapter, this same father is mourning the loss of this son. A lot can happen in one chapter. It's a pretty bleak ending to the chapter, but there was a verse at the end of chapter 37 that gave us hope. If you were with us last week, there was this very hopeful word in that verse, and it was the, uh, the word meanwhile. Meanwhile, Joseph's story is a meanwhile story. It's, it's the story of a God uh, who is a meanwhile God he writes meanwhile stories, and Joseph now, and at the end of chapter thirty seven he is in exile. He is confused, um, but in the middle of this confusion, God is writing a story of some sort, but right now he 's not where he wants to be this this exile word we can put that on the screen i think it 's a it's a word that we can kind of identify with a little bit, like Joseph. He's in a place he doesn't want to be. Things have not seemed right for us as a church family. We have not been where we've wanted to be over the last few months since November 14th. And um, even though, even, even in this moment, this week, we're in a global crisis, and many of us are in a place where we don't want to be. Uh, we feel like we're exiled. Even though we're confined to our own our, our homes, we're stuck there, we, we feel exiled in our own homes. And um, we're beginning to feel, we're beginning to feel that we were not made for this kind of isolation, that we were made, uh, like we talked about earlier, we were made for hugs, we were made for interaction, relationship. We were definitely not made for Zoom calls. As blessed as Zoom may be, we are, we thank, we are very thankful for Zoom, but we were not made, I was not made for Zoom calls for sure. We feel exiled, we feel, um, like Joseph, we feel we've been brought to a foreign land. Everything seems upside down, and we have to ask the question, What's gonna happen to us? Joseph is asking this question, what's gonna happen to me? How is this meanwhile story going to work itself out? Um, and you would think that we could just, you know, turn the page here, chapter 37, go to chapter 38, and that we get some answers to this question of how is this gonna work out? How is this meanwhile story going to, to work out? But instead, and this is a disclaimer, um, If we have kids with us today, this would be the moment where you need to figure out where they're going to be, and it shouldn't be with you in your living room, because this chapter, Genesis 38, is probably one of the most scandalous chapters in the whole Bible. There is dysfunction, there is death, there is sex, there is is blame shifting, there is rape, there is incest, uh, paternity scandal, it's all like tabloid headline stuff. It's not pretty. It's a very gritty story. And these questions that Alex, Alex and I are doing this little hop back and forth. I, did, I clicked for her. She's clicking for me. These questions she pushed, put up on the screen, we have to ask, what does this mess? It is going to be a messy chapter, I promise you. What does this mess have to do with God's meanwhile? What is going on? And honestly... And you'll feel it. You'll be like, when is the mess too much? When is this just too much? Some of you have maybe asked these questions, asked that second question uh, in your own lives. Um, maybe, maybe on behalf of someone you know, uh, maybe someone close to you, is, they, they've made a mess of their life. It's a friend. It's, um, it could be a father. It could be a, a daughter. They've made, maybe you're frustrated, Maybe your heart just aches and, and, and you long for them. It's, there's a mess. Or, or maybe you can relate because you've made a mess of your life. Mistakes or sin. And you are living in a mess. You look at your own mess and you think, this, this is too much. Or maybe you are feeling like you're in a mess and it really happened to you. It wasn't your fault. But it was the mistakes and sin of others and, and you're in a mess. What does this mess that we're in have to do with God's meanwhile story he's writing, and does it ever get too much? Usually, um, usually right now is when I kind of read the whole chapter, and we're gonna do this a little differently today. Instead of reading it on front, we're just gonna open up our Bibles and slowly walk through this chapter. This is gonna be a little bit different sermon. I don't have like three points or anything. We're just gonna let this story unfold, and I'll be honest, I'm, I'm describing it as a mess, but it is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. is a beautiful story of God's redemption. So pray with me and then we will read. Jesus, I pray that you would show us how amazing you are in the mess. Amen. So read uh, chapter 38, the first book of the Bible at the very beginning, Genesis 38, first verse. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside. So that, that, that very first little phrase, it happened at that time, that's actually another way to say meanwhile. Okay, chapter 37 ended with meanwhile. Chapter 38 begins with another one. It's kind of a meanwhile within a meanwhile, little meanwhile inception thing going on. Okay, so if if I could, if this is a movie, chapter 37, we have Joseph. Like I said, he's, he's, he's naked, he's bound, and he's following this caravan of slave traders. That's like... The, the movie that, that kind of maybe fade to black as he 's walking into the sunset, and then it would cut and go to another scene a village in Canaan, and, and probably at the bottom it would say those words meanwhile canaan okay that 's what's just happened all right we 've transitioned to a very different scene Meanwhile, Canaan, God is a god of more than one meanwhile there's the meanwhile in joseph's story now there 's this other meanwhile in Canaan. He's writing multiple stories. He is writing a story for you and for me, and he's writing a story for our church, and he's writing a story for our nation. He's a God of of many meanwhiles, many meanwhiles, and in fact, um, he's at work at tens of thousands of meanwhiles, and we're probably aware of like two and a half of them. He is a God of many meanwhiles. What's happening in Canaan here? It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adullamite whose name was Hira. Okay, this, this verse is saying that he moved, but it's saying a lot more than just that Judah moved. What it's saying is that Judah is rejecting the land that God had given his family. He's turning aside from his brothers. He's, ejecting, he's rejecting uh, the, the, the promises that God has given to this unique family, and if you were with us last week, you know that God has promised that through this very weird, strange, dysfunctional family, through this family, there will come a seed. There will come a descendant, a redeemer of the world. And Judas says, I don't have any part of that. I don't want to have anything to do with that anymore. That's what he's saying. So when it says he turned aside, he finds this new guy to roll with, Hira, Hira. He turns out to be kind of like his party bud or something. But, but Judah's rejecting the blessing of God in this moment. And why is he doing that? Why is he doing that? Well, to be honest, his life thus far has been far from blessed. It's been a rough life. His mom is his dad's unwanted wife. The, the wife that his, his dad describes as the ugly wife. Okay, we, we talked about this last week, but there's this terrible story. A terrible story in chapter 33 where um, his dad, Jacob, is, is worried that uh, he, his brother Esau is going to attack him, and he loves his son Joseph and his wife Rachel, the pretty one, and, they, and, she, and he puts them in the back, and he puts uh, the rest of the brothers, including Judah here in the front, as like a human shield, and just, just think about this for a second. Judah's a little boy. He's sitting in the, you know, the back seat of the camel, and he's like, Mom... Why is Joseph and Dad's? Why and Mom or Aunt, right? Whatever he would say. Why is Rachel back there? Why are we up here? That's that's a really a really sad moment for a boy to realize that he that he's put up in front to to be a human shield. Or or last week we talked about a really hard moment for a man when uh, when Jacob finds out that his son Joseph is is lost. He, 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 gets, he, gets, he starts crying, sobbing. He's saying, my son is dead. My life is over. It says all of Jacob's sons and daughters tried to comfort him. And Jacob says, no, Judah Judah's, is not even seen as a son. He can't do anything. So this is a, this is a rough family like we talked about last week. And, and, the, and Judah says, forget this. In some ways, we kind of can't blame him. He's been a rough time. He's inherited so much. He's inherited this generational dysfunction and sin and wounds and neglect. Maybe that sounds familiar, a familiar story. But as I was thinking about it this week as a dad, and we're all cooped up. If you're a parent in a small space with all these little people that are driving you crazy, you've you got to think about this reality of this inheritance that they're getting from us and, and the reality that our, our kids, what they're gonna get from us is much more caught than taught and this is, a, this is a little bit of a warning for us right here with Judah. So Judah turns aside and something, there's a couple things going on when he says turns aside, when he's going down, he turns aside. There's, there's also this reality, turning aside is this description of his spiritual state, right? That's, that's intentional language. If you, if you look at the next chapter, it says Joseph has been brought down. This chapter says that Judah went down. There's this intentional contrast between like Joseph's exile, this involuntary being brought into a place he doesn't wanna be, and Judah goes down. He decides he's going to a place. There's this, in, there's this intentional contrast Right? Joseph is dragged into a situation that he doesn't want. It's, it's terrible. But Judah, his exile is not involuntary. He chooses to go down and he chooses not just to escape his family, but he escapes into this indulgent lifestyle. He gives himself over to, to he just he licenses himself to numb the pain. And let's pay attention to this. I, I, I think this is important. This there, like I said, we're in a moment of involuntary exile. We're in a moment where we're in a place we don't want to be, and it could be very easy for us to follow in Judah's steps, to go down, to turn aside, to cope with this anxious moment by trying to escape it. Whatever that might mean for you, whether it's Netflix or food or drink or porn or mindlessly scrolling, that's what it means to go down. Bonhoeffer said This, which I think describes our present moment, it, it could be a scary reality of our present moment. Sin demands to have a man alone. It withdraws him from community. The more isolated a man is, the more destructive sin is. Retreating physically in this moment does not mean that we need to retreat relationally. In fact, the opposite. We must connect So I want us to see that contrast between the exiles of Judah and Joseph. Judah, as we see, he's going to indulge. And Joseph is actually going to flourish in exile. What does it look like for us to flourish in this moment, in this season of exile? It is possible. We know that. We know that God can prepare for us a season of flourishing, even in this desert moment. So Joseph flourishes, Judah indulges, and we're going to just walk through this. Verse two, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her. That sounded a little crass. It's because it is. Judah's Judah's dad has a super messed up relational and sex life. I mentioned two women. He actually has four women that he's juggling relationships with, and his son is going to have a similar inherited messed up sexual appetite. He, Judah sees this girl, and it says he takes her and he goes into her. That if that didn't sound like he, you know, he, he, that he's wooing the, wooing her, that he's inviting her to some sort of like Canaanite farm to table, beautiful restaurant, that that is not happening. He's not wooing her right now. He takes her. And take is a word that the Bible often uses to describe lust, taking what isn't yours. In Genesis three, we have that language that Eve saw and she took the forbidden fruit In Genesis 6, the reason that God destroys the whole world in a flood is because sons of God were seeing and taking daughters of man. Or in Genesis 12, there's this moment, Abraham and his wife come to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sees and takes Sarah. This is language that implies lust, taking what's not yours. Judah's family begins with Something that really resembles rape, to be honest. It's messed up. And he and this woman, who isn't even named, they have three sons. uh, Verse 3, she conceived and bore a son, and he called his name Ur. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. So there's Ur, Onan, and Shelah, And for some reason, if you look at these verses, the, the narrator, the writer, makes a point to say that Judah names the first one and then his wife names the second and the third. It seems like he's making a point to saying this dad is completely disengaging. He's gonna be a, a completely removed dad. And, and not surprisingly, with a dad like Judah, these sons, they grow up to be a mess. In fact, mess is not nearly strong enough word. In verse six, it says they are wicked. Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord put him to death. So we're introduced to this young girl, Tamar, poor thing, all we know about her marriage to this husband, Ur, is that he is so evil that the Lord puts him to death, which that doesn't happen that often in the Bible. I mean, this is the first time that God kills an individual. He's evil. Tamar is gonna go through a lot because of the, the mess, the, the, these three messed up men. Son son number one is dead. There's two more sons. Verse eight, Judah said to Onan, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. Okay. I know that sounds like really strange to us, but there's a little bit of context we need to understand. In that time, if, if, uh, a father dies, I mean, if a, if a husband dies before he's able to have a descendant, he leaves a wife, then his brother is obligated by, by law, eventually by biblical law, uh, you can see that in De- Deuteronomy, that he's obligated to marry his, his brother's widow and to provide an heir for that lineage, okay? That was, that was the way that, um, that that lineage could, could go on. So that's what's happening here. It does sound super strange to us, but this is actually a law with good intentions. But Omar, brother number two, is not a man of good intentions. Read verse nine. Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen or the seed, you could say. He'd waste it on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. I told you, it's going to get messy. Omar, Omar knows this, that if I give her a son, I'm losing some of my inheritance. How does that work? Okay, there were three sons, right? The first son died. So now there's just two sons. So the whole inheritance is going to these two guys. And Onan is good with that. And he knows that if he gives this dead brother, a son, then he's losing his inheritance. He does not want to give him a son. But what does he do? What does he do? He wants it to look like he's doing his brotherly duty, right? So the people around are like, oh, look at that good brother taking care of his brother, his brother's widow. He wants it to look like that, but he is not allowing Tamar to get pregnant. So he's doing, he's doing a couple terrible things. One is that he, he could have just decided, I want the, the money, but he actually is having sex with this woman and not allowing her to have a baby. He wants the pleasure of sex with Tamar. And the saddest thing about this verse is that word, whenever. Guys, this is something that didn't happen once. He is doing this again and again to Tamar. This is an evil man, and the Lord sees that it's evil, verse 10, and the Lord puts him to death. I wanna just, I wanna stop, and I wanna tell you, and it's, I know it's a little weird through a screen, but if that is your story, if Tamar's story is your story, that is evil, it is so wrong. It is, this is the story of a young girl who's neglected and abused. And and this young girl is betrayed by the very people that were supposed to protect her. That is evil. If that's your story, I'm so sorry. And I want you to see, I want you to look at this story because this is also a story of a God who sees Tamar. And we're gonna see that God, God sees her and he is not done with her story. I just wanna stop and just say, Jesus, I pray that you would care For those who have Tamar's story, I pray that you would revive our country, that you bring healing to those who are abused, have been abused. But Tamar here, her suffering isn't over. She has a wicked first husband. She has an abusive second husband. And now her adoptive dad is going to disown her. Verse 11, Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. You, you see what's happening here. The dad, Judah, is, is beginning to think, this woman, this Tamar, she must be cursed. She marries my first son, he dies. She marries my second son, he dies. We need to get rid of this woman. That's why he's saying, just just go back. Go back to your family. This is what happens, guys. Sin is so blinding. I mean, think about this. Judah, her dad, what has he done? He sold his brother Joseph into slavery. He disowns his family, leaves the promised family. He lustfully takes a pagan woman to be his wife. He's a completely removed dad to these sons, and somehow he thinks that it's Tamar's fault that they ended up a mess. Sin blinds us. Sin blinds us. Judah desperately needs an awakening. He needs a breakthrough. He is so blind to the reality. He blames everything on Tamar. He's sending, he's sending her back to her family of origin, right? But that's, that's wrong. It's his responsibility to take care of her. There's a third son. And he's saying, just wait a while. When my third son grows up, I'll give him to you. But we'll see that he actually has no intention of doing that. He's sending this poor girl home in shame. It's like he's photoshopping her out of the family picture. He's like, we don't want her here anymore. What a mess. What a mess he has made out of Tamar's life. And now the story's gonna pick up some speed. And that everything I just talked about, that was 20 years or so. But then verse 12 says, in the course of time, this next part, after that 20 year saga that I just, just described from the, 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 the sons being born to them dying to Tamar being sent back home, 20 years has passed. And now everything's going to happen and really quickly in just a few months in the course of time, the wife, Judah, she daughter died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shears, he and his friend Hira, the Adolamite. So Judah's wife dies. And after a brief time of mourning, he calls up his old party buddy. And they're going to go to this sheep shearing festival, which is really just a, a big drunken party. So he goes there. And Tamar hears about this. And in verse 13... It says, When Tamar was told, Your father in law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance to Naim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelo was grown up. That's the third son. He's grown up. And she had not been given to him in marriage. And when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside. And said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter in law. I told you guys, this is a mess. What's happening here? Tamar can tell that Judah has no intention of her marrying this third son. He's grown up, nothing's happening. She's been deceived. So she comes up with a plan. And she's been deceived, and now she is going to deceive her deceiver. And look how easy it is. She knows Judah. She knows her father-in-law and his appetites really well. She she knows he's going to this, this party, this party festival. So she dresses up like a prostitute and really doesn't have to do anything except sit down on the road where Judah is gonna come. She knows him. And though this is a I know this is a very strange plan. It's it sounds wrong. Tamar is actually going to emerge as the honorable one. She's going to be cunning and wise. And Judah here is going to continue to be the sleaze ball. We already know him to be, and he's also incredibly stupid. Look at look at the next verse. She said, "What will you give me that you may come into me?" And he answered, "I will I will send you a young goat from the flock." And she said. If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What what pledge should I give you? And she replies, Your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So Tamar looks at Judah and says, What are you willing to pay? And Judah says, I'll give you a goat, which is a, a, a lot of money, worth a lot of money, okay? He's he's being stupid here. And she says, Well, okay, where's the goat? Like, I don't see a goat. Give me some sort of deposit, give me some sort of advance. And he's like, okay, what do you want? And she says, give me your signet, your cord, and your staff. That doesn't mean anything to us, but this is like, this is like his ID. This is the stuff he uses for transactions. This is basically, basically, she's asking Judah, she's saying, give me your wallet. Give me your driver's license. Give me your uh, credit card. And he's like, okay. And he does it. Lust makes you stupid. Lust blinds you. Proverbs 7 describes this situation this way. Proverbs 7 says, I have seen among the simple a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near the prostitute's corner. Or, or today we could say scrolling mindlessly through the corners of the internet. And behold, the woman meets him And he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces his liver. He does not know that it will cost him his life. That's what lust does. It blinds us, and then it kills us. Judah gives her his wallet. He gives her his driver's license and credit card. It says he gave them to her and went into her and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away and taking off her veil, she put on the garments of her widowhood. So they do have sex. She does get pregnant and then she's gone the next morning. And again, this is so weird to us it's a super strange story but remember that judah the father-in-law was meant to provide an heir if none of his sons were able it's his responsibility to actually do what just happened that's his responsibility don't get me wrong what she's doing is wrong in a sense it's it's prostitution it's it's trickery but we're gonna see that at the end, she is the one who is going to be honored in all of this mess. So the next morning, Judah wakes up. He's probably hungover. He's trying to make sense of it all. He sends a servant with the goat, the promised goat, because he's an honorable man. He's gonna do what he said he'd do, but they can't find this prostitute. She's nowhere to be found, okay? And now what? Judah's like the, the gentleman who realizes he's, he's left his wallet in the brothel. What's he supposed to do? He, in verse 23, he says, let her keep the things as her own, or we shall be laughed at. He's worried about being humiliated, as he should. <laughs> he has no idea what's about to happen. So that's that. Judah returns walletless home. Three months later, Tamar begins to show. And, and Judah gets word that she slept with a guy. Okay, if you're lost right now, if you're like, how is this supposed to edify me? Please hang in right now, <laughs> because this is, where, this, is, this is where it becomes a story of redemption. Judah is like, yay, the cursed woman made a mistake, She's pregnant, this is my chance. I can get rid of her. Here's my way out of this. She's an adulterous woman. What does he say? He's so blind, he's a hypocrite, and he's a vicious hypocrite. He says, verse 24, bring her out and let her be burned. Of course, with those words, he's he's condemning himself. I mean, he is literally guilty of the same act, but Tamar, Tamar is amazing. Look at this. She's so amazing. She's poised. She's walking to her death sentence and she still plays her hand beautifully. Listen, verse 25, as Tamar was being brought out, she sent word to her father-in-law by the man to whom these belong, I am pregnant. And she said, please identify whose these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. And then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son Shea, and he did not know her again. Guys, this is the moment, the breakthrough moment for Judah. This is the moment where he is humiliated, but he is also humbled. He sees how blind he was. He sees how a young girl who's been abused and dismissed is actually more loyal, more, 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 loyal, more righteous than he is. And guys, listen, this is, a like I said, a 20-year story. This is a 20-year meanwhile story for Judah. This story is running parallel with the 20-year Joseph story, okay? This humiliation and humbling of Judah happens right before these stories come together and Joseph's brothers, we're gonna see in a a few weeks, they they come back into Joseph's presence and Joseph's gonna be king of Egypt. They come back in and there's one of the brothers who is a profoundly different man, and that's Judah. He's a different man. Because 20 years ago, they wanted, to, they wanted to sell. Judah's the one that said, Let's sell him and make a little bit of money off of this. He is the, 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 the worst of the worst of the brothers. And 20 years later, the, the brother that sold Joseph into slavery, he's going to be the one that raises his hand in, in the important moment and says, Take me as a slave on behalf of my brothers here. Take me. Not them. This is a man who has been humiliated and humbled. His humiliation was his redemption. And God uses Tamar. This is amazing. Brothers and sisters, if there's sin in your life, it can be the greatest gift for you to be humiliated and humbled. And brought back to where you were meant to be. God can write a meanwhile story in the middle of your mess. In fact, that's the only meanwhile story he ever writes. He, he, every mess is a sovereign mess. He is a sovereign God in the middle of our mess. Our mess is always the means of his redemption. We are a people of mess and he is a redeemer of mess. That's how it works. You can't outmess God's grace and he can in fact outgrace our mess that's what's this story is getting getting at Judah God is writing a good meanwhile story in Judah's life Judah can't outmess God's grace the same with Joseph God is writing a good meanwhile story with Joseph he can't outmess God's grace the same with you and me, God is writing a good meanwhile story. We can't outmess God's grace. And the same is true for our, for our church, for Soma, Soma Tacoma. God is writing a good story and he can redeem every mess. And he's writing a good story even in the middle of this global crisis. If you humble yourself, if you allow yourself like Judah to say, I need somebody more righteous than I, I need a savior. But what about poor Tamar? What about Tamar's mess? Look at how this ends. Verse 27, when the time of her labor came, there were twins in her womb, and when she was in labor, one put out a hand, and the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on his hand, saying, this one came out first. But as he drew back his hand, behold, his brother came out, and she said, what a breach you have made for yourself. Therefore, his name was called Perez. Afterward, his brother came out with the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was called Zerah. And you might read that and say, yay, Twins. So what? what? What's going on? There's so much that is happening here. But we will only, I want us to notice a couple things. This little guy, Perez, whose name means breach, whose name means breakthrough. This is going to be a baby that is not going to be forgotten. And neither is his mom. Because here's the deal. When you, when you open up this, the, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, where we are introduced to the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the breakthrough baby of all time. This is how it begins. Those first couple verses of that genealogy of who are the descendants that led up to Jesus, the seed coming into the world. It says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah, And his brothers and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Guys, Tamar is the first woman mentioned in this line. Tamar is the mother of the Messiah. You can't outmess God's grace and no one else in your life, can outmess your life beyond God's redemption. That is the beauty of the story of Tamar. Through Tamar comes a seed which comes King, through which comes King Jesus. He's the one who's going to undo it all, undo our, our worst nightmares. So if you've had to suffer like Tamar, God sees you and he can undo your suffering. And if you have sinned like Judah, God sees you and he can redeem even your rebellion. This Judah, it's amazing. His, his redemption, just like his gener- the generational sin kind of kept hitting generations and causing dysfunction and brokenness, renewal and revival also spirals out. And this Judah, this Judah, as he's being renewed, look how it impacts his family. Family, his family is redeemed, it impacts a nation, and eventually, through his seed, it's going to redeem the whole world. And this is what I want us to end with. Because I actually do think that this scandalous, messy story is a super timely story for us. A super timely story. That maybe Judah's story is actually what can be happening with each one of us right now. That maybe in this time when everything seems upside down, when we feel like we are exiled, God wants to humble our hearts and he wants to take an individual and humble their hearts and that that renewal in their hearts would spiral out into their home and bring redemption into your home and your family and that that could bring redemption into our church and that that could change our city and that together God would work this out in individuals and churches and it would change our country and it would change the world. And I don't say that because I'm like super, like I have this incredible insight into what's happening. I say that because I know that that's what God is always up to. He's always up to this. He always wants to humble hearts that it might bring redemption to those around us. The revival of of any people always begins with the humbling of a heart. So if you would, let's pray. Let's pray. Alex, you can just leave this up here for a minute. And let's pray that God would use whatever means possible to humble our hearts. And to bring revival to, to my life that that might impact those around me. Jesus, this weird story is so beautiful. It's It is a mess. It is a mess. A mess of sinful men. A mess of an abused woman. And Jesus, we ask that in this time where we feel like things are not as they should be, that you would humble our hearts. That we might turn to you. That this would impact me and my family. And our church, it would spill out into our city. We ask that you would do this. Amen. If you would um, pray that, this this chart was drawn by my friend, another pastor of another church, uh, Soma Church. His name's Chuck, and more and more pastors and more and more leaders, elders have been praying this prayer. I ask that you would just join me in that and right now we can continue in that in our homes if you want to respond using the digital liturgy there's multiple ways to do that there's catechisms and discussion questions and uh, and a guide and there's worship uh, songs that are listed there and and I know that many of you are about to, to um, enter into a time of communion. You have the elements prepared and um, because of that uh, I want to read the, the moment where Jesus invites us into that and we can respond on Zoom calls and, and uh, in our homes to this amazing story of God's redemption, of Jesus's pursuit of us and what it cost Jesus was his his own life and we do this in remembrance of him. So I'm going to read and then Zach's going to cut the live stream and you can continue in your home. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's do this in remembrance of him. If you want to write, prayers of response or stories of response or or your thoughts on this little live stream thread. That's been an amazing way for us to connect. But let's do this in remembrance of him. Wherever you are, we can respond to his pursuit of us. Love you, family.